Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to give you just a minute to get there. Acts chapter 4. And might I say I sure do miss Pastor Gilbert, Miss Angie being here with us. Uh, but at the same time, I'm so glad uh, that they're able to visit, visit Gage and Aaliyah. So, uh, but you keep praying for them. As uh, Brother Andrew said, hopefully, Lord willing, it'll be a much smoother trip on the way back than it was going. But uh, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, give you just a second to get there. And uh, tonight, if you're able, if you wouldn't mind, if you go ahead and stand with us in honor of reading the Word of God, Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 22, and, and not only will I read them initially in our hearing uh, at this time, but we'll touch base on these time and time again as we go through the message. But Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it's, and as they, as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even tide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas and uh, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which uh, is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Now, tonight we're going to pray here in just a second, but we're going to be preaching on this thought and this idea that comes out of verse 20. And if you'll look at it with me, the title of the message, if you will, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you, God, for the great privilege that you have given us to be in the house of God, this opportunity to worship you tonight, to look in the Word of God, to read a few verses, to expound upon them. And we pray, God, that you'll help us through the things that we see, the things that we study, the things that are brought out uh, in these verses, that you'll help us to grow and and get closer to you. Lord, you'll help each and every brother and sister in Christ to, uh, to whatever is going on in their lives. I may not know what's going on, but you do, Father. I pray that you'll be with them concerning that. And I pray also, Lord, if there just so happens to be somebody here tonight that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I pray, God, that through this preaching, through the words that you have put down before us, that you might bring about Holy Ghost conviction upon their life, and that you might draw them to you, and they'll be saved tonight. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, tonight we're preaching on this idea, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And by means of introduction, I want to start out with this idea. In our world today, uh, we have seen tremendous strides that mankind has made in so many areas of life. It seems that we are so advanced in areas of whether it be science, medicine, outer space, and just technology in general. Every time we turn around, there is some new invention or at least some kind of uh, improvement on something that has already existed. And, and I was thinking about, for example, uh, when we consider or think back to when PCs or personal computers or, or even cell phones first came out, it's hard to believe what we have available to us now. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I know a, a, a man of God that he worked for South Central Bell, I think is what it was called back in those days, or Bell South. And uh, he had, I guess, what you would consider a first cell phone. That thing was a brick. That thing was a monster. And, and here today we walk around, with you can get them a lot smaller than this, and just technology at our fingertips and uh, that we can do amazing things with. I think about, again, the computers. Uh, it's amazing just how much smaller and faster and, and, and how much more we can do on uh, these items today than we ever have before. Well, needless to say, everything around us is advancing at an incredible rate. And to be quite honest, it's a little hard to keep up with how fast things are changing. Well, that's the world in which you and I live, and that's where we're at today. So with that in mind, just a couple of weeks ago, I was actually at work on break, and I was reading through this portion of the book of Acts, and I couldn't help but consider of just how relevant the Word of God is. Even though the book of Acts was written in the neighborhood of some 2,000 years ago, what we find within these pages is still in line with what we see in our daily living. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Listen, the Bible, the Word of God, is not a book that's irrelevant. It's not out of date, and it's definitely not out of touch with reality. There's a lot of people that believe that, but that is not the case. But what I want to do in this message tonight is point out a few details that are just as relevant and true today as they were when these words were written in the book of Acts. 
And the first thing that we want to look at tonight is this simple idea of, again, we're going to see three main points, three main ideas. But number one tonight, the world's reaction to the gospel. The world's reaction to the gospel. Now, as I begin this point or this thought, uh, first I want us to take notice of who they consist of out of verse 1. Now look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 4 and verse 1, and we want to take notice of who they is. But he says, And as they spake unto the people. Now if we look back to Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, you have your Bibles open there, and you flip back quickly, and the Word of God says this. He says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And so we know that this verse uh, leads us into the story of where the lame man was healed. And, uh, and we understand that chapter 4 is a continuation of that. It's still going forth uh, from that story. And then even in our main text verses in chapter 4 and verse 19, it also shows who they are. And so, uh, and we'll talk more about they in just a little bit. But I just wanted us to see that uh, they are Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, that was involved in what was taking place. Now, we'll pick up with them in a little bit and see how that ties in. But they, it's Peter and John, the, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know who they are. But who are they preaching to? And again, out of chapter 4 and verse 1, you can see it there. They were talking or preaching to the people, to the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. And this would have been, uh, I mean, people in general, this would have been the religious crowd, uh, this would have been those in high positions. In other words, it covers a large group of people, a wide range of people that were present at this time. Now, this first point is called the world's reaction to the gospel. What is the, re the reaction that is noted within these verses? I want you to look at the last three words of verse 1 in chapter 4. The last three words of verse 1 in chapter 4, and it says, came upon them. We're talking about the reaction of the world. And... This coming upon them was not some nice greeting as in, hey guys, how's it going? They didn't come up and just greet them and say, hey, what's happening? What's taking place? It says they came upon them and, uh, because of their frustration. These priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, were not what you and I would call happy campers. No, they were not uh, thrilled about what was taking place. They did not like what was going on at all. Uh, according to the Scriptures, it says that they were grieved. That means they were disturbed. They were distressed. And because of this, they laid hands on them. They physically got hold of Peter and John and literally put them in jail for the night. And we find these things in verses 1 through 3. And this was part of the world's reaction to what John and Peter were doing. 
And then, now I'm going to skip around in different verses. I'm not going in line. Uh, we'll pick up different ideas from different sections of these, verse, these verses. So in verses 13 through 18, we see a little more about their reaction and find out that, to be quite honest, they weren't quite sure what to do about what was taking place. Uh, they began to confer among themselves. In other words, they were exchanging thoughts and opinions as to what their possibilities might be when dealing with these men of God. So we got our Bibles open. I want you to look with me once again. As I mentioned, we're going to touch on these verses. But Acts chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and this is going to show us what I'm talking about here. And he says, And beholding uh, the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But, they, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. They had a little conference, if you will, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a not notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And guess what? We cannot deny it. It was hard for them to argue with visible, physical proof that was right in front of their face. They didn't like it. They didn't enjoy it. They didn't want to see these things taking place. But what could they do? It happened in front of them. So even though they weren't quite sure of what to do, they knew that they wanted it stopped. They didn't want to hear any more about Jesus they didn't want to hear any more about the miracle that took place, and they didn't want to hear any more about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They just didn't want to hear it. So I want to pose this question tonight. Why didn't they want this to continue? And it's the same reason that this world doesn't want it to continue. This preaching of the gospel, this living for God, brings about conviction and disturbs people's lifestyle. And so the question here, what is a detail, an idea that is just as relevant and true today as it was when these words were written? I want you to turn with me. Of course, hold your place there in Acts. But turn with me to the book of John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're going to read verses 18 through 21, and, uh, and we'll move on. But John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. And, and so something that is just as relevant today, as true today, uh, as it was when these words were written in the book of Acts. And here in the book of John chapter 15, starting in verse 18, going up through verse 21. And here is what the Lord Jesus Christ said Himself. He said, If the world hate you... You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember uh, the, world that I, uh, the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. 
Listen, the world's reaction to the gospel that nailed Jesus to the cross, that put John and Peter in jail, is the same kind of reaction that we get in our day and time. People are not crazy about hearing the gospel. And by the way, one of the areas where some of the biggest opposition comes concerning the truth of God's Word is from the religious crowd. Say, no, preacher, well, you live long enough in the gospel and, and preaching of it and the Christian life, and you find out real quick that you would think of all people, you would think, you know, here's this guy that's just living in the world, and, but you don't ever get any, you know, any issues from him. You don't even get any problems from this guy, but you've got the religious crowd that is bucking back against what? The truth of God's Word because it's messing with their pocketbook, it's messing with their power, it's messing with what they're getting accomplished for themselves, and we see that tonight this is what we run into. What has not changed? The world's reaction to the gospel. It happened there where these men of God, uh, John and Peter and other disciples and other men of God, and it's happening in our day and time. So we see the world's reaction to the gospel. Gospel, And so I want to look at another detail uh, that is just as relevant today. And, of course, this is going to uh, get a little more uh, close to home, if you will. And uh, it's going to touch you and I tonight and hopefully will challenge us to do what God wants us to do. So we, we talked about the world's reaction to the gospel. But secondly tonight, we want to look at a godly response. A godly response. Again, this goes back to Peter and John. And we see within this passage that there was, uh, and I was trying to figure out a way to put this, but there was no mincing of words when it came to uh, what John and Peter were saying. Uh, uh, they didn't beat around the bush. And so I want you to look again, Acts chapter 4. Starting in verse 8, going up through verse 12, and, and we'll see how they responded. What they said uh, concerning things that were taking place there. So we're talking about a godly response. So look at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 8. He says, Then Peter, and by the way, this next little phrase is key to having a godly response. And he says, Filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth... Now keep in mind that they're being very specific on who they're talking about. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, was not the only man in this day and time that was named Jesus. As a matter of fact, you go to places in the world today, and, 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 and the Spanish community, Latino community, and you're going to uh, hear people called Jesus. And, and it's, it, it's, so it's a name that is used, but they're being, being very specific. And he says, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What a response from these men of God. They're standing before all these people. They're standing before, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, the regular people, the religious people, people in high positions, and they proclaim the truth of the Word of God without pulling any punches. And while these people were trying to discredit what happened to the impotent man, uh, as the saying goes, and I'll use this phraseology, I guess, but John and Peter unloaded with both barrels. They didn't hold back. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't concerned about what kind of reaction they were going to get from them. Uh, they were saying, listen, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you crucified, the one that you put up on the cross, the one that rose from the dead, he is the reason that this man is made whole. This is the reason. He's the one that has caused this to happen. And not only is Jesus the reason that this man is made whole, but Jesus is also the only way to heaven. There is no other. There's no other person, no other option. You and I are very familiar with this verse. But John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You and I tonight, we know that, we understand that, and that's exactly what Peter and John were conveying to these people, this crowd that was before them. Now, I want you to think about this illustration tonight. And, of course, I didn't come up with this. I was reading it somewhere. And, uh, but it's a good illustration nonetheless. And it goes like this. It says, there is a difference between pointing the way to a particular place and taking someone by the hand and leading them there. Now, that's what I read. And then I come up with this other example. And let's say that someone brand new comes to visit Lakewood Baptist Church. This is just an example, but maybe they have a child, a young boy. He's, let's say he's in the fifth grade. They come in and they want to take their child to, Sunday, to the Sunday school class that is for his specific age and for his grade. And so they come in, you greet them, and you're having a little conversation. Now, you could tell those parents if they were to come in this door, and, and you could, and they've never been here. They're brand new. They don't know anything. They don't know the layout of the church. But you could tell those parents, so, well, you just, I'll tell you what, you just go back towards the back of the church. Just make your way around, and you'll be standing there at the vestibule, right? And so you're just kind of giving them directions. And you go towards the back of the church, and until you see some, some stairs on your right-hand side. And well, once you see those, you go up, make your way up the steps, and you take a left, you take a right, and you go down, I think it's to the very end of the hallway, and there is where you're going to find the classroom. And, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, Philip and, and Kenny Fink, I believe those, you two are the teachers there, right? And so you give them those directions, and you say, and, and here's their teachers, and you should find them there. Now, you could do that, uh, and maybe they would get there. Or you could literally take that person 
to the classroom, which is what we should be doing. That's what we ought to do. That's the obvious thing to do. And, and here's my point tonight. The person who guides someone to their destination literally becomes the way himself. So what are you saying, preacher? Jesus Christ not only points out and tells a person how to walk through life, how to reach God, he personally shows the person the way. Therefore, he himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the way. And that is what John and Peter were preaching to that group. Now, while these people were following and believing in rituals and what they could do for themselves, the disciples of Jesus Christ set things straight. Jesus is the reason, that, again, that this man is made whole. He is the only way to be saved. And this, my friend, was a godly response from these men of God. Now, we have to ask the question, and I already kind of alluded to part of the answer, but how could John and Peter have responded in this manner considering the persecution that came along with it? How can you and I respond in this manner in our day and time knowing that many people simply don't want to hear what we have to say? How can we respond in a godly manner with boldness knowing that I say some type of persecution, but we don't get a lot of persecution, but, uh, or not physically, I guess you would say, but knowing that a certain people, when we talk to them about Jesus, are going to make a decision to keep their distance. Uh, how are we going to do this when, when uh, uh, we get left out of certain activities and they don't want us involved? And, and how are we going to have this kind of response like Peter and John in our lives? Well... For one, we have to do what Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 says that John and Peter did. I want you to look with me there. Now, I've already talked about being filled with the Holy Ghost and, and being directed by uh, that, but this is as involved as that part of it is. But look at Acts 4.13. How can we have this godly response? He says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them. And this very last phrase is what gives us the answer. This last phrase is what shows you and I how we could even possibly have a godly response. See, what is it? That they had been with Jesus. There has to be time spent with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this comes through reading God's Word. It comes through prayer time with God. And it comes through obedience to what God's Word teaches us. And believe it or not, this also comes with time with God's people in the house of God. All of these things are involved in being with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, doing this... It's going to help us, enable us to have a godly response. Doing this will help remind you and I that God is our protector, that God is our comforter no matter what comes our way. 
Now, for the sake of time tonight, well, we'll go ahead and look at this one. But I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. I'm not that good with time and preaching. And uh, when I was a missionary, I didn't have a choice. Uh, but after those missions, well, when I got to the mission field, all that changed. Anyways, uh, but Acts chapter 13, you say, oh, no, he's going to be long-winded tonight. I hope not to be, but I'm going to get through the message regardless. So Acts chapter 13, I mean, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Now, I want you to see uh, a godly response uh, reminding us of who God is, what he does for us, how he's our protector, he's our comforter, no matter what happens in our day and time. So Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, he says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. There's a verse I'm going to give you tonight that I quote to myself on a regular basis, 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Doing this will remind us of who God is, how He never leaves us, He never forsakes us. It reminds us that He is our most trusted friend of Proverbs 18.24. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is where their boldness and their godly response came came from. And for them, there was only one thing that they could do. For us, there is only one thing that we can do. And if you get back to Acts chapter 4 and verse 20, it's the title of this message tonight. What can we do? What should we do? How are we going to respond in a godly manner? And the Word of God says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You can't see and hear the Word of God if you're not in the Word of God. You can't see and hear from the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't see and hear from His Word, guess what, if you're not in the house of God with God's people. We're talking about a godly response tonight. What has not changed? The world's reaction to the gospel. What is relevant that doesn't need to change today? A godly response from God's people. And I want to look at one more thought that is just as relevant in our day and time as it was back in Acts chapter 4. And number three tonight, the intended results of the gospel. I want you to get back with me to Acts chapter 4. The intended results of the gospel. We're going to see two main thoughts out of these verses. And and the first one we'll find in verse 4 of our main text. So I want you to look with me once again, Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. We're talking about the intended results of the gospel. And he says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word, what? Believed. 
And the number of the men was about 5,000. So what is one intended result of the gospel? That many which hear the word of God preached or taught will believe. That is an intended result of the gospel. When it goes out, it's not going to come back void. It's going to do that which was, it was intended by God. And I want to give you a verse tonight. Uh, Luke 19.10, we know it. He says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And concerning that verse, I want to give you two ideas and thoughts from two different men. And one, here is what H.A. Uh, Ironside said concerning this verse of Luke 19.10. He said, This was the very purpose for which he came to earth. Speaking of Jesus, he was ever on the lookout for sinners who knew their need and were ready to be saved. It is his gracious mission still, though seated at the Father's throne, listen now, he is working by the Holy Spirit in the hearts of his servants as they carry the glad tidings to lost men telling them of salvation from sin and its judgment through faith in Him who died to redeem them. That's a, a commentary from H.A. Ironside concerning Luke 19.10. There was another one that said this about this section of the Scriptures. He says, The people thought that Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, but actually he was only a bank, bankrupt sinner who needed to receive God's gift of eternal life. The most expensive gift in the world. This is the only instance in the four Gospels of Jesus inviting Himself to someone's home, and it illustrates the words of Revelation 3.20. We're not going there tonight. But Zacchaeus was not saved because he promised to do good works. He was saved because he responded by faith to Christ's gracious word to him. Having trusted the Savior, he then gave evidence of his faith by promising to make restitution to those he had wronged. Saving faith is more than pious words and devout feelings. It creates a living union with Christ that results in a changed life. What is one intended result of the gospel that hasn't changed? That people will believe, that people will be born again, through the preaching of the Word of God. And what else is an intended result of the gospel? And we find the answer to that in Acts chapter 4 and verse 21. Look with me once again. Say, he's going to take forever. I'm almost through. You don't believe that, but it's true. Acts chapter 4 and verse 21. We see that those that believe, they heard, they believed, but there's another intended result. Acts 4, 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. Now look. For all men glorified God for that which was done. So what's the intended purpose? What is the reason? It is that God will be glorified. Why was God glorified in Acts chapter 4? Because the power of Christ had taken a man who had been helpless for 40 years and made him completely whole. Why else was God glorified? Because many that heard did trust Jesus as their personal Savior. When a person goes from being a sinner 
and lost without Christ to being a child of the King, I promise you tonight that there is reason for glorifying God. When God saved me, there was all kinds of reasons to glorify God. There were so many reasons to lift Him up. So what is a detail that is just as relevant today as it was back then that God be glorified for all that He has done in the past, for all that He is doing in the present, and for all that He is going to do in the future. Listen, the intended results of the gospel are simple. That people believe and that God our Savior be glorified in heaven. Tonight we're going to look, we're going to finish up, and we're going to have an invitation. But might I say to you tonight, an invitation is not just some ritual that we go through. You know, these men here had a lot of rituals. They had things that they went through, and basically they had a list of just checking things off. I did this, I did this, I did this. An invitation is not some ritual that we go through. An invitation has a purpose behind it. Say, what is it, preacher? Somebody could be here tonight. They've never truly trusted Jesus as their personal Savior. God could be dealing with them this very moment. And that time of invitation is an opportunity for them to come to an old-fashioned altar. Tonight, it's an opportunity that they might come and Get right with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just, again, something that we go through and the motions that we go through. You know, there could be a child of God here tonight, a child of God, not a lost person, a child of God that needs help from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why we have an invitation. It's not just to go through the motions. It's not just to play the piano and sing a song and and go through and and finish up and say, well, the preacher got out almost on time. He almost got through on time. I tell you what, God never stops working. And here tonight, we're going to conclude, we're going to close, we're going to have an invitation, but there's a reason behind it. God wants to work in our lives. Every head bowed and every eye closed.